Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I like what Pastor Sammy said last week. We celebrated a risen Savior, and today we celebrate a risen Savior. I got an encouraging text from a pastor friend of mine in Northern California last night. He said, praying for you, Ryan. The Sunday after Easter is one of my favorite Sundays because we get to worship a risen Savior all over again, and the lower attendance can't take that away. Love you, man. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is, pastors think that way. You know, Easter, the week after Easter is always a little lower, although this is a great crowd here at 10 o'clock. Thank you for your faithfulness to God's house. But the reality is, he's not any less risen because more or less people come to church, and we get the opportunity to, to celebrate him today, and I'm thankful for it. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited about the message today. Let me ask you a question this morning. You can, you can answer out loud. How many of Jesus' 12 disciples betrayed him? How many betrayed Christ? One, right? I heard one. Most of us say one. And in fact, at the Last Supper, Jesus foretold that one would betray him. Who was that one that betrayed him? What was his name? Judas. Judas Iscariot. As I read the passages last week that I encourage you to read from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looking at the Gospels uh, there of his final week, those accounts of his final week, I was reading through there and a question at that, the week before we were in the final Passover meal for that communion service, so really the last two weeks, maybe it was two weeks ago, a question from that passage popped out to me that I had never really pondered before, really didn't strike me in the way that it did a week or two ago. And while I was planning to be back in Acts today, our, our verse-by-verse study through Acts, I decided to stay one more week in those Gospels where we were for Palm Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and Lord willing, next Sunday we'll jump back into Acts chapter number 18. But I want you to turn with me, with me, if you will, to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Matthew chapter number 26. I want to share some thoughts I've been pondering this week from a, a simple four-word question that the disciples asked. Matthew chapter number 26. We're going to begin in verse number 20. The scene here, the setting is that final Passover, that Passover meal that Christ had with his disciples. We looked at it in depth two weeks ago when we had communion there in preparation. And this is the last meal Jesus is going to have with his disciples. We call it the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. And uh, the Lord's Table, we call it when we partake of it, or communion. And we look here at what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus is with his disciples, verse number 20, Matthew 26, verse 20. We're going to turn to a couple Gospels today, so I'd invite you to keep your Bibles open and get ready. We'll turn over probably to John next in a, in a, in a few minutes. Matthew 26, verse number 20, the Bible says, Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, what a sad statement. Kind of breaks, breaks the news, some, some rough news to break at dinner time. As they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, truly, that word verily just means truly I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, you can imagine. And began every one of them to say unto him, what are the last four words of verse 22 there? Would you read them aloud? Ready? Begin. Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? I want to bring you a message this morning entitled, is it I? 
What a crazy question. See, when I, we have the gift of hindsight when we think about the stories in the New Testament. We know the whole story. Spoiler alert, we know how it all ends, right? We know where it all goes. If somebody says who betrayed Jesus, we all just said Judas. We know the end of the story. But when I read the Bible, I try to put myself into the story at present day as it was. And I had never quite pondered this question and the, and the phrasing there in verse number 22. And they were exceeding sorrowful. Well, that makes sense. They had all given their lives to follow Christ. They had left everything. They left their businesses. Peter, we know, at least Peter left his wife. They, they left family. They left friends. They left their, their comfort zones. They left what they were used to. They left their daily routines to follow Christ. You've heard me talk about during COVID, especially I talked about a TV series called The Chosen. And, and uh, they put this TV series out and we rewatched the whole season the, last week, the week before Easter, uh, because they released the first episode of season two on Easter Sunday. And last Sunday night, we, we watched that. But one of the things I love about that series, and by the way, if you've not watched it, uh, watch it this week. Download the app on the App Store of The Chosen. I don't get any commission, but go watch it. And, and one of the things I love about it is, and some of it's artistic license, and they even say that at the beginning, but it shows us the humanity of the disciples. They were with Jesus every day, 24 hours a day for three years, and we just read some of the highlights in the Gospels. And they show them together there, and, and, and what we see, and you stop to think about one of the things that hit me when we were re-watching season one. I told my wife, I told my kids, I said, that really would have been an amazing step of faith because we think of it as Jesus, the Son of God. Man, if I had a chance to follow him for three years, I'd give everything to go do that. At that time, he was just this unknown guy doing amazing things from Nazareth. And, 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 and he said, follow me, and they left everything. Think about the, the commitment, the faith, the sacrifice that took. That was who all 12 of these were. And, and so they had given everything, and yet, right before he dies in verse 22, they say, he says, it says here, they were exceeding sorrowful and began, you see the next two words, every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? That was a crazy question to me to ponder. Every one of them believed that it might be them. You see, we see Jesus as the outlier. I mean, I'm sorry, Judas. We see Judas as the outlier. Judas was that one that somehow faked his way in there and, and, and he was the bad apple all the way along. They didn't see it that way. They, they, didn't, they didn't, we see the other 11 as the faithful followers. That wasn't the reality in their own hearts. Continue the story in verse 31. Skip down to verse 31 for the sake of time. They, they, they take the Passover and Jesus speaks to them. Verse 31, then saith Jesus unto them, what's that next word? Jesus saith unto them, what? All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. What a beautiful verse of God's mercy and love and forgiveness. I know you're going to walk away from me tonight, but I'm not done with you. I'll see you in Galilee. And, and by the way, they didn't believe this to be true. Verse 33, notice what he says. Verse 33, Peter. Peter answered and said to him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I, what church? I will what? Never be offended. Jesus, I, I kind of see what you're saying about these guys. I could see it in them. Not in me. Not happening. They might all offend you. I am in it for the long haul. 
I, I, don't worry about me. That's not going to happen. Notice verse, skip down to verse 47. Verse 47. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. They fall asleep. He prays there. Notice verse number 47. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Amazing word, friend. Rhetorical question. He knows why he came. He told him he was going to betray him. Wherefore art thou come? What's going on, Judas? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand. Peter draws his sword and strikes the servant of the high priest and smote it off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Would you read the last sentence of verse 56 aloud? Ready, begin. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. One betrayed. One denied. Who denied? Peter. All fled. All were offended. Really, it's kind of a trick question. Using the word betray, Jesus said one shall betray us. So one is the right answer, but the reality is it really was all 12 of them, wasn't it? One betrayed, one denied, all were offended and all fled. They scattered and scattered from him, skipped down, and I'll, I'll get where I'm going. This is all the introduction. Verse number 69. I want you to see Peter's denial. Verse number 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. I saw you with him. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, the, another maid saw him and said unto him that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. I've never met him. And after a while came him that they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he, it's like, oh yeah, my speech betrays me. Began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto them before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Again, kind of a trick question when I said how many betrayed him. It's one, but the reality is all 12 of them walked away. Sitting here at this Passover feast, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray him. And to me, it was a crazy question. They had given their lives. There was one that had a devil, the Bible says, Judas, but the other 11, and their question in their own heart was, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? I want to bring a few practical applications to our lives today as disciples of Christ from that little question on that final Passover meal with Christ. What can we learn from the disciples' questions and the disciples' reality here that, that all of them were offended and all of them fled and all of them knew in their hearts was the seed of betrayal that they could be the one? I want to give us a few practical applications. Number one, I want to challenge us. Stay as, as disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ. Stay humble. It could be any of us. 
Sometimes we get lifted up in pride, don't we? I've been saved for a long time. Look at all that I've done. Look how long I've served God. They served Jesus, walked with him every minute of every day for three years. Think about all that they had done and all that they had seen. We can deceive ourselves. We see here in this question the weakness of our walk, the, the reality of the frailty in and of ourselves as followers of God. These disciples had, had given their lives to Christ. They had done unbelievable miracles. They had witnessed unbelievable miracles. One of them walked on water. They were involved in turning a little boy's lunch into a meal for, we know, 5,000 men beside women and children, maybe 10 or 15,000 meals from one lad. They had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They had, they had seen Jesus say, peace be still to the storms. They had seen the, the, the woman at the well get saved. They had, they had seen the, the blind made to see and the lame made to walk, the dumb made to speak and the deaf made to hear. They had witnessed all all of these things, think about the reality of their Christian walk, if you will, their life as disciples of Christ. And yet, when it came time to the most important moment of their lives, what did they say? Lord, it could be me, couldn't it? Is it me? I've tried to give you my life, but is it I? Stay humble, Christian. It could be any of us. As they sit there in their final moments, every one of them believed it could be them. And by the way, it could have because that night they were offended and fled. You and I, church family, from that, that question, I think it's a good reminder. You and I have not arrived in our Christian lives. I don't want to just start well and live for God for a year or two or five or ten or pastor a church for a few years. I don't want to start well like Paul. I want to finish well. I want to be able to say, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the, the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. I want to finish well. By the way, how did Paul finish well? One of the ways, what did he say? Not as though I had already attained, neither have already apprehended, but this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What did Paul say? What's one of the reasons? He finished his course well. He stayed humble. Not as though I'd already attained. I have not arrived. This was a man that had, 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 had done amazing things for God. Humanly speaking, maybe one of the most mightily used men in the history of, the, of humanity. And what did he say? Oh, chief, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm the chief of sinners. What did he, he constantly understood his frailty, his weakness, it, it, the opportunity that he could possibly deny Christ and walk away from Christ. None of us are exempt from betraying Christ or denying Christ or running from Christ. In fact, all of us are probably closer to that than we'd like to admit. I'm reminded of the powerful lyrics to the hymn, Come Thou Fount, of every blessing. What does he say to the songwriter there? What did he say? Prone to what? Wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That was penned by a man named Robert Robinson at about the age of 22. He was saved at the age of 20 in England under the preaching of George Whitfield. Prior to his conversion, Robinson had associated with some godless men in London and had lived a debauched life in his, in his teen years and, and up until that time of his conversion. But two years after his salvation, in the year 1757, he wrote those lyrics admitting the truth that his heart was prone, not just tempted to, 
prone to, the natural inclination of, prone to wander. Isn't that true of all of us? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Paul described the Christian life as a fight we're trying to win, a a race we're trying to finish, a course we're trying to complete. It's easy to start well, but then to stop, to get off track, to get discouraged, to get disillusioned, to get distracted, to say like Peter, I go a-fishing. I'm done with this thing of following Christ. It's too hard. It hurts too much. It doesn't make sense what he's doing. I gave my life to him. I left my wife. I left all of that. I left my fishing business. And this, he died? That's it? I go fishing. Can't that be all of us? Seems like just about every month or two, there's another prominent believer of some sort that says, uh, I'm renouncing my faith. I'm turning back. I'm I'm no longer a Christian, a a popular Christian author or a popular Christian musician or a popular Christian whatever. And and, and in the name of Christ, they got a platform and then they, and where does that come from? Well, before we get too hard on them, what do the disciples say? Lord, is it I? Stay humble. It could be any of us. We can deceive ourselves. We, we, it, stay humble that we might be able to hear, well da- done, thou good and faithful servant. Don't be like Peter and get lifted up in pride. It could never be me. Who's the one that denied him the worst other than Judas? Peter. Who's the one that was the most outspoken against? The other ones ran and hid. Peter didn't run and hid. Peter stayed close. I've stood where they believe it was there in Israel, right there at the, at, at the porch there. Peter stayed kind of close, but what did he do? I don't know him. Never met him. Blankety blank, 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 blank. Don't ever call me a Christian again. Just a few hours before that, what was he saying? You're right. They might all betray you. Never me. Stay humble. Number two, what do I see here? The second thing that this question reveals to us is we should stay focused. Not only can we deceive ourselves, others can have us deceived. Others can have you deceived. Here's what's interesting about that question. It wasn't obvious to them that there was a devil among them. To us, it seems obvious, right? One of us is going to betray him. Been waiting for the announcement, Judas. Told you, Andrew. Peter, didn't I tell you? Something not right about that Judas guy. I've been thinking, I noticed, I, know, I knew it from the beginning. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it three years ago. There's always been something off about Judas. Was that their response? What does that mean? Judas had him deceived. Turn with me, if you will. I want you to see it. John chapter number 13. John 13. We'll stay over here in John. We'll look at a couple couple passages here in John. John 13. John chapter number 13. Look at verse number 21. This is John's account of of the, the announcement of Judas' betrayal. Look at John chapter 13, verse number 21. I love the Bible. Follow along and, get, and see it for yourself here. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. No, 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 no. You? Is it me? You? No. Couldn't be. No way. Then the, and then in verse 23, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, 
whom Jesus loved. Whenever you see that when you're reading John, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. I always find that humorous, that he always, he wants us to know that, that Jesus loved him. Jesus loved them all, but John wants us to know the one that Jesus loved. And so John, speaking of himself, there was a disciple that was laying there by Jesus. And, and you remember when they would eat, they would eat on the ground and they would recline there. It was a different, uh, different dining setup there. And notice what happens, verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He, get the picture. The Bible's awesome. So they're at dinner. Jesus, heartbroken, says, one of you is going to betray me. No, 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 you? It's a whisper. All, all of a sudden there's a little bit of a, a hubbub. Is it you? Is it me? Could it be? Who do you think? Bartholomew? Yeah, probably Bartholomew. No, I think it's Thomas. What do you think? Yeah, maybe Thomas. And they're going, and, and Peter, while they're all kind of figuring it out, Peter says to Johnny, John, Find out. I got to know. Hey, you're closest. Ask him. He gets his attention. He asks him. Notice verse number 25. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, he it is, to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now this is interesting because it feels like everybody would know now. They'd be watching. Who's he going to do? Give that to. Verse 27, and after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, to Judas, that thou doest, do quickly. Would you read verse 28 aloud? Ready? Begin. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Jesus had the bag, he was the treasurer, the money keeper, that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Even after Jesus gave them a sign of who it was, they still didn't realize who it was. What does that show us? There was no hint in their minds that it was Judas. Others can have us deceived. And here's the reality of our Christian walk, when that comes to fruition, it hurts. It can be a real discouragement. Somebody I looked up to, somebody I served with, we trusted him with the money. He was with us everywhere. I, I slept every night the same place he did. I ate every meal with that man for the last three months. We, he was there rejoicing and praising and helping us to hand out the meals and, and in the boat with us and Judas, and here's the reality. Others can have us deceived, and when the truth about their lives comes out, it can be tough to process. It can be disillusioning. It can be discouraging. It can be disheartening. It can lead us to say, how could I have respected that person? How could I have admired that person? And here's what I see from that, that, that truth. Lord, is it I? It shows us they didn't know it was Judas. Here's what I see. Here's the important takeaway from that. Keep your eyes on Christ and not on man. Man's, and here's the other thing I see. Man's failures in no way thwart God's plan. I want you to see it in verse 31. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, 
now, now that there's one of the 12 that I've loved for three years, that I've invested in for three years, that I've helped for three years, that I've taught for three years, now that he's going to go betray me, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Now God can really do his work that we have this great heartache in our midst. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Now that, that these disciples are going to face this pain of betrayal, this pain of deceit, this pain of how could he? That is when God can do a great work and the work that he had planned. Man's failures do not thwart God's plan. Don't let the faults and failures of a fellow servant or leader that you loved and looked up to cause you to doubt God and his plan. Can I say that one more time? Because I, I know some of your stories, but I don't know all of your stories. And my guess is somewhere a, a Christian that you loved and admired and respected and looked up to hurt you somewhere, disappointed you somewhere, let you down somewhere. Their humanity came out and, and had a deep impact on your life. And what I see, how could I have trusted them? How could I have, how could I have, and, and we beat ourselves up over that. Here's the key to that. Don't put your trust and confidence in man. Keep your trust and confidence and faith and your eyes on Jesus Christ. Let me say that statement one more time. Don't let the faults and failures of a fellow servant or leader you loved and looked up to cause you to doubt God and his plan. Keep following. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let God work it all together for good. Man will fail you. Jesus never, Jesus never fails. So stay humbled. We can deceive ourselves. It could be any of us. Lord, is it I? Could be any of us. Stay focused. Others can have us deceived. Place your confidence in Christ. Now that doesn't mean you don't love and invest and serve with others. It just means you're not placing your confidence in them. Here's one of the other things that we do when we've been hurt by someone. We put a wall up and say, I'm never going to trust anyone ever again. I'm not going to work. I'm never going back into a church. I'm never darkening the doors again. That church did me wrong. That, that pastor did me wrong. That spiritual leader mistreated us. I'm never going to do that. That's not the answer either. The answer is keep serving with people, keep loving people, and give them grace as you need grace, but keep your trust and confidence, your allegiance to the one who will never fail you, Jesus Christ. Number three, what do I see from this? Number three, the admonition or, or application from this question, Lord, is it I? Number three, stay close. Cling to his word. Remember his works in the past. Trials will come that will shake our faith. Don't run when they do. Keep following even when you don't understand what he's doing and how he's working. He had given them the tools to stay faithful, but when they had a failure of faith, what did they do? They ran. They, they distanced themselves from Christ, and it led them down a wrong path. They ended up going back to their old life. Many of them, I go a fishing. What do you do when man disappoints you? What do you do when even a spiritual leader fails you? What do you do when you don't understand how God's working? Stay close. God had given them the tools to walk through this valley, but what was their response? All men fled. No, keep going to church. Stay in his word. When you don't feel like it, when you're upset, when you're discouraged, when you're disillusioned, when you're thinking about throwing it all in, I don't know about Christians and they're all hypocrites and the churches all do that and whatever it might be, stay close. The time you need the Lord and other believers the most is in those times when your faith is shaken the most. And then lastly, lastly, what do I see from this question? Lord, is it I? Number four, stay tender. 
Lord, is it I? What's the answer to that question? It was them, wasn't it? And they weren't all the one that betrayed him in the garden, but it was them. They were all offended of him. They all fled from him. They all backtracked in their Christian life from him. Stay tender. What do I mean by that? When those things happen, when we struggle, when we have failed Christ, when we've messed up, when we've made a mistake, here's what can happen. We can get buried in condemnation. We can get hard hearts. We can get bitter. We can get upset with ourselves. We can get bitter at somebody that hurt us. We can get, and what happens is we end up going down a path that God never intended us to. In the midst of your own faults and failures, keep your heart tender because why? God is not done with you. Turn with me to the last place we're going to look. John chapter number 21. John 21. When it is you that flees, when it is you that runs, when it is you that fails God, when you said, I'll never, I'll never deny you, they might all, and you deny them three times. And you tell people blankety blank, 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 blank. I never knew him. I've never met him. Don't ever put me in the same sentence with him. When that happens, don't allow yourself to, to get, to get burn, buried under condemnation or to get bitter and hard-hearted. Keep your heart tender. God is a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. And God, give yourself grace if it was you that walked away. Give others grace if they walked away. You will fail. You will fall at times. You aren't a spiritual robot. You will have times in your life where you struggle in your Christian walk and you look back, what does it say about Peter? He went out, he was very sorrowful. He went out and what? Wept bitterly. You're gonna have some times in your Christian life where you look and say, how could I have? How could I do that? After all he's done for me? After all that he's given me, he's taught me, he's forgiven me? And I do that, I, I was taught better than that. I knew his word more than that. And when it's you that walks away, maybe you kept going to church, but in your heart you walked away. And you chose your path over his path. And you have scars and regrets. And you have things you wish you hadn't done. Stay tender. You told Jesus you'd never deny him. You made a vow that you would never do that. And you found yourself doing just that. What should you do? Remember, God is not done with you. And give yourself some grace and give others some grace. When you mess up, God isn't finished. He hasn't given up on you. That's what grace is for. That's what his mercy is for. Yes, they all ran from Christ. But by the way, spoiler alert, other than Judas, they all came back to Christ. Your, your mistake, your failure is not final. John chapter 21, verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. Remember he told them, I'll see you in Galilee. Here it is, verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. That was their old life. That was his old world. I'm done being a fisher of men. I'm back to making money on real fish. They say unto him, we also go with thee. By the way, when was it when Peter gave his life to Christ? It was after a night of fishing when he didn't catch anything. And he said, you know what? I'm done with this fishing. This guy's amazing. I'm going fishing. And where does he find himself? Now he's, it was, before it was, I'm done with fishing. I'm going with this guy. Now it's, I'm done with this guy. I'm going fishing. Don't be too hard on yourself if you've had a, a failure of faith. If you've struggled. If you find yourself in a spot that, that you've broken your own heart or the heart of someone you've loved or those you've served with or God himself. 
Don't be too hard on yourself. Look at, so Peter says, I go a fishing. They say unto him, what did they say? We also go with, with thee. Yeah, I hear you. That serving God thing's too hard. Let's, let's go do something that we know about. It's easy. It's, maybe it's fun. It's, it's profitable. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught what, church? They caught what? Nothing. <laughs> Life lived in our own way is always empty. But when the morning was now come, Jesus, oh, I love that phrase. I have it underlined in my Bible. Jesus stood on the shore. They weren't seeking him, but he was seeking them. They were discouraged. They were disillusioned. They were downhearted. They were downcast. They said, we're done with Christ. We're done following. But Jesus stood on the shore. You might be here today and you say, I don't think I can serve God. You don't know what I've done. Jesus stands on the shore. That song says softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching. He's there on the shore calling, oh sinner, come home. That's the God that we serve. Oh, I like that. Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. He pursued them. They had cursed. They had run. They had denied. They had fled. They had forsaken. But Christ didn't cast them away. Is that you here today? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Verse 5, then Jesus say unto them, again, a rhetorical question, children, have you any meat? Don't you do that when you go fishing? You walk by somebody else that's fishing? Did you catch anything? And if they say yes, what bait are you using? Got to know. Any fishermen in here? Anybody that likes fishing? That's what you do, right? You're walking by. How's anything biting today? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus knew they hadn't caught anything. Jesus knew they were miserable living for themselves. And he says, children, have you any meat? By the way, again, a reminder. And they answered him, no. There is no fulfillment in selfish pursuits. No fulfillment. Verse 6, then he said unto them, cast the night net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. That makes no sense. Cast the net on the right side of the ship. The ship's sitting here. By the way, these weren't cruise vessels. This is a small fishing boat. They've been fishing here, nets, no fish. Put the net over there. Jesus is shown in verse number seven, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, there he is describing himself again, John, saith unto Peter, oh, oh, I remember this. I remember this. This seems very, this like deja vu all over again. I, there, remember that one time, the last time we fished and we went the whole night and we caught nothing. And remember Jesus said, cast out a little bit and we couldn't keep all the fish in our, in our, in our ship. That was the last time we fished the same. I know who this is. Peter says, it, I mean, so, sorry, John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200, dry, uh, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. By the way, Jesus didn't need their fish. He had all that they needed already on shore, but he just wanted to show them who he was. And, and, and here they are, in, in this story, Christ showing them he still loves them. He still wants to use them. They are still worthy to be his disciples. He still has a work for them to do. In this story, he restores his relationship with them and once again gives them his commission to reach the world. What a beautiful ending to that story. 
a beautiful ending to a terrible night a few nights ago when they all forsook him. And Jesus says, I forgive you. I'm not done with you. You still have value. I still want to use you. By the way, the part I love about this story is every one of them would stay faithful for the rest of their lives and would give their very lives for the master. Martyred in different ways. After this, after that mercy and love, their lives truly were forever changed. Never again, now we see them doubting some things, but never again do we see them stray or wander away from their calling again. Aren't you thankful for the plenteous grace and mercy of God? Just such an interesting question to me. Maybe my brain is weird. I've skipped over it every other time I think I've read it, but it just stuck out to me. Every one of them said, Lord, is it I? And I began to just ponder that question because to me it's obvious who it is. It's Judas. Lord, is it I? I think we can learn a few things from that question on that final Passover night. Number one, let's stay humble because it could be any of us. What did Paul say? I gotta stay humble so I can finish my course. Stay humble. Stay focused. The, the truth of the matter is, it is going to be somebody you love and respect. God forbid it might be me. It may be a spouse. It may be a parent. It, it, who knows? But there will be somebody that fails you. That you th I, I thought I knew them. I trusted them. Yes, keep loving, keep serving, but keep your eyes where they belong. Keep your eyes on Christ. Stay focused. Number three, not only should we stay humble and we should stay focused, stay close. When the hard times come, don't flee, stay close. And lastly, stay tender. When you mess up, God isn't done with you. Let him call you back. Let him restore you. Let him use you in spite of your mistakes. Let him recommission you. And you're, if you're still here, he's not done with you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. What a beautiful reminder of the grace, the mercy, the love of God. He stood on the shore. I love the verse that says, he remembers our frame that we are but dust. Sometimes I'm like, how could I do that? And what, why am I that way? Why did I treat that person that way? And why am I selfish like that? And how could I do that to my wife or my kids? Or why, why was I so stupid to say that to somebody? And it's a good, it's an encouraging reminder that God remembers our frame. We're just dust. Like Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. You know what? How could I do that? Because I'm just a fallen, broken, sinful man. And I need to get back to Christ. I need to get that, that relationship back where it needs to be. Maybe some of you have said, I go a fishing. And you're in that boat naked fishing. You need to put your fisher's coat back on, swim to shore, and say, Peter, lovest thou me? You know I love you, Lord. All right, I've got a job for you to do. Maybe God's calling some of you back to where you were, where you know you should be. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.